So as some of you guys know, I've, I have the privilege and honor to memorize some of the Bible. So today, I've been working, I think for like two years, on First John. I'm almost done. Not quite. I was hoping to get it done, but I'm a very slow memorizer, very slow. And memori- memorizing is not my is not my thing. I'm just persistent and stubborn. Um, so it gets memorized eventually. So I'm going to go get as far as I can through First John. Lord willing, I'll be able to enter the last chapter. That's that's my goal. But we'll see. Let's hear First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with him, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the precious blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. If we claim we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we know him if we keep his commands. Any man who says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. But anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is a message which you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. If we claim to be in the light, but hate our brothers, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Whoever loves his brother is in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. 
I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world nor the things of the world, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and his boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and all its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You have heard that the end times, dear friends, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they never really belonged to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have known. They would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have received the anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard remains in you. If it remains in you, you also will remain in the Father and in the Son. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing you received remains in you, and you have no need of anyone to teach you. But as that anointing teaches you about all things, is that anointing is real, not counterfeit. Just as he has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that you may have be confident and unashamed at his coming. If we know that he is righteous, we know that anyone who does what is right has been born of God. How great is the love the Father That we should be called children of God. Dear friends, the, the reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law and facts and is lawlessness, but we know that he appears that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him will keep on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, I write these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message which we have had from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to 
the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters. We pass from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, even when our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and will receive anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is what he commands, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another as he commands. Those who obey his commands, God lives in him, them and they in him. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is, this is how we can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus, this is the, of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. But you, brothers, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we can recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who loves not knows not God, because God is love. This this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Anyone that acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God, and we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Anyone who says, I love him, but hates his brother, is a liar. For if he cannot love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by obeying God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, that we love 
that we obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit testifies, and the Spirit is truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. He accepts man's testimony, but the testimony of God is greater because testimony because this is the testimony that God has given about the Son of God. If we accept, if we believe in the Son of God, the testimony lives in us. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that we may ask whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us whatever we ask, we will receive what we have asked. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray for him, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from evil. Good morning. Thanks, Dave. My name is Duncan. Many of you I've grown up with. Many of you have seen me grow up. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Dave's eldest son. Perhaps not the favorite son, but I am one of the sons. Uh-oh. All right, we'll keep it going. But um, I, God has been really pressing on my heart the, over the last couple of years, not just the um, the the not just absorbing the scripture and reading the scripture and being in the scripture, but letting the scripture actually lead my life and direct my life. Like there's, there's a twofold side to it. And I've been really trying to explore this concept of this. You, you read scripture to have an inward growth, but then you need to be able to express scripture to see it come out in your life. And for me, that comes out in um, either there's small times where we go out through prayer walks in our neighborhoods, or I'll, I'll have our small group go out on prayer walks in our neighborhoods, or the most recently, a couple weeks ago in November, we had a mission trip where a few of us were able to go down to um, Mexico to uh, um, do not just provide humanitarian aid, but also to provide the love of God and gospel sharing with people, um, migrants who are trying to find legal uh, political asylum here in the United States. 
So I wanted to share about that trip, but first I think what would be beneficial is to share a little bit of context of what led to that trip, what we're experiencing, and then at the end, there's a few ways that our church, Evergreen Community Church in, in Virginia, is finding here's how we can be partnering and, and keeping things going, not just in Mexico, but here, uh, there in Virginia. And I think you, if you have a heart for it too, could be doing the same thing here in Maryland. So I have a few ideas I want to share with you at the end. But this started, um, this particular interest in Mexico started in Faith Walkers last year. So how many people have gone to Faith Walkers before? It's a really important and great event. So if, you, if you're on the fence, if you're kind of considering, I definitely recommend to go. It was in the announcements just today. It's not too late to sign up, and I'm sure that whoever's organizing lodging would love to organize two or three more rooms, right? So that's not going to be a problem. But it is, it, what, what we experienced last year was one of the um, guest speakers came. His name's Nate. He's a pastor in San Antonio. And Nate was sharing that he, he had become connected with a pastor who's down in Laredo. Laredo is a border city. It's one of the largest um, uh, throwaways. It's one of the port cities that allow um, migrants and passage to and from Mexico. That pastor, he's Mexican-born. His name is Pastor Lorenzo Ortiz. He has been, over the last four or five years or so, dedicating his life to serving and helping the migrants find legal and safe passage to the United States. And what I find very interesting about this is that this is right now a very hot topic here in America, people coming in on that southern border. And I think that this is a really interesting win-win on both sides. We're America. We want people to come here, but we want people to do so in a, way, in, in a safe and legal way. And this is what the pastor is allowing people to do. And while he's doing that, he's providing protection from cartel. He's providing um, food and shelter, and it's all free of charge to the migrants. He doesn't charge them anything. Whereas you have a lot of different organizations, police forces, they're extorting, they're um, exploiting the migrants in whatever ways they can. So this really caught my attention at Faith Walkers this last year. I was able to sit down with Nate and kind of talk to him, well, what does this look like? What, what are you guys doing? And he invited us to come down and see what's happening in Laredo. So three of us went, um, um, myself, Ethan, who many of you know as well, and uh, one other uh, person from our church, we went down in March. And we had a few days that we were able to be there and we were able to um, experience what life is like on the other side, there was a, a mission house on, in Laredo, Texas. Nuevo Laredo is the, um, the Mexican city just on the other side of the river. So we, would we flew down there. We would have our evenings in the mission home. We were able to um, uh, go out in, during the day hours, daylight hours. We were doing service projects, construction projects, trying to, to interact and socialize with the migrants. I have about a 101 um, uh, high school knowledge of Spanish. So it was kind of, it's kind of hard to be able to interact. But with Google Translate, almost anything is possible. And so we're sitting there typing, typing, showing, ha, 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 typing, typing, showing, ha, ha, ha. So we're able to kind of talk back and forth a little bit and, or maybe talk into it and you, you can make it work. But Ethan, he's conversational and so he was going to go through and myself and the other guy, our main job was to build bunk beds and Ethan was going to be interacting with and talking to the migrants. So there's a little bit of a back and forth they were able to do with that. And we learned a lot about what's happening down there. We learned a lot about what's going on in the, um, uh, uh, with the organization, with Pastor uh, Ortez and what he's doing. Um, Pastor Ortez, like I said, he is, he is Mexican um, heritage. He's a U.S. citizen now. He's a pastor in Laredo. He does house the, um, the migrants. He has a home in Laredo, 
and then it has like a, a large garage or so, and he houses, he, he'll sometimes have like tent cities in the back of his yard where he's holding people who have been approved for political asylum, but they need to just get uh, passage to their destination city in the U.S. somewhere. He then has three or four Laredo, um, Nuevo Laredo, that's on the Mexico side, he has three or four shelters there where he houses hundreds of migrants who are waiting for that to be, um, to be approved. Further south in Monterey, he has a shelter, and that's, that's just what he does, is he just collects people in off the streets, he helps them find, because in Mexico, you need to have a, a literal green card with your ID on it, you need to have that to, be, to not be deported from Mexico as well. So there's a, there are some steps that the Mexican government has taken as well to be able to monitor and help the, uh, the migrants. So there's steps that the migrants have to take, many of them that we met were from Honduras, from, uh, from Haiti, from uh, uh, Venezuela, from further south, some, I mean, we even saw a few Ukrainian and Russian um, uh, 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 people while we were there as well, many coming to Mexico to try to find political asylum from the south side too. So it's, it's a really interesting mixture of people who are there. So what he does is he allows them to come in, he collects their, their documentation, their information, he helps them process and, and to um, uh, submit for asylum here in the States as well. Laredo has a really strong and heavy cartel presence, and that was something that we had to strongly consider. What does that mean for a, for a gringo American to come down to a Mexican city that has a strong cartel presence? So, Pastor Lorenzo, he's very low-key. He's like, oh, come on down, it's okay. And he was like, just come on in. And it's, there are some steps of safety that we take. So he has a 15-passenger van. I felt right at home being in a 15-passenger van again. And we, he would drive that in and around the Mexican cities, just like Stephen does. And he's like whipping around the corners. He's turning and he's like drifting into parking spots. It's really nice. And he's able to, he, and what we do is we're always with the pastor. And so we're with pastor in the car. We get out, we open up the gates, and then we enter into the shelter. He closes the gates behind us. We're not going around uh, socializing, mixing in the streets. We're not knocking on doors, handing out flyers. We're working with these specific people. And it's in an enclosed location. And so uh, the team, we felt very much like this is a, this is a great family environment. Inside of the, um, the homes, there are, there's a mixture. Some of the locations are women and children, moms and, and children. Some of them are family units. Some of them are mostly males. And there's a, a little bit of mixture that's going on there. And what, what was heartbreaking, what was interesting, is just how many children there are at these shelters. How many people the age of my son Declan, my daughter Eska is two years old. These little children who are just being brought along, who are just going along with life. And this is just where their next stop on, their, on the road. This is just the next place that they're at. And it's very sobering to see and to consider what that life is like and what that, what that lifestyle is like. And to take a moment to step out of our very controlled environment, our day-to-day -day activities, and to step into their very uncontrolled environment where they're at the mercy of a pastor who they don't know in the shelter that they, that's not their home but must be for a certain period of time, it's very humbling, and it's, it's very contradictory to the, the values and the mindsets that I think we as Americans can develop and to hold on to. And what's, what the pastor was affirming to us over and over and over again was just to see some Americans in these shelters with them, the migrants, was very encouraging to them. It was very uplifting to them, and it showed, wow, there are people who care. There are people who are willing to take their time. There are people who are welcoming us to, um, to Estados Unidos, to the United States. So that was a, um, it was, it's very interesting just the, the opportunities and the mindsets that the migrants, they have there. 
So the, the but the, um, the cartel presence is real. One of the shelters actually happened to be next to a hold, like a, um, a supply center of one of the head cartel organizations in the city. And Pastor Lorenzo has gone out of his way to build a positive relationship with the cartel as, as much as one may be able to do so. And there's a really interesting dynamic where the cartel are the ones who are extorting the migrants. They're taking their money. They're taking their, their resources. But once they take it, they don't really want to mess or care about them that much. And so they actually respect the pastor, Pastor Lorenzo, for helping them, those who have nothing. And they know that um, the migrants in his shelters have nothing because they took it all. And there's a really interesting dynamic where Pastor Lorenzo almost commands respect in the eyes of the cartel, where they're, if they are going up and down the highway and there's a cartel checkpoint where, yes, the cartels have checkpoints where they stop vehicles and they frisk vehicles and they check up and down and make sure that they allow you into their city. That happens in Mexico. That happens in, Mo in Monterey, I-35 South. That happens in that area. Um, Pastor Lorenzo, he'll be, the cars in front of him will be checked, the cars behind him will be checked. They roll down the window, they see that it's Pastor Ortez, they nod and they let him go. It's a really interesting dynamic that he's created with these, um, with these cartels. And so the team there, we felt moderately safe being with the pastor because we understood that the dynamic and the respect that he commanded with them. So there was a lot that we learned. Um, the, his daughter works with him, his uh, son-in-law partners, both um, Pastor Ortez and his son-in-law um, Jezreel, they both had separate construction jobs. They quit, they left them behind a few years ago to be able to work, work full-time with the migrants. They, are, they rely solely on donations that come in. They don't earn anything from the, um, from the ministry, they don't charge anything from the migrants. So they supply the migrants needs, they supply for their own needs through donations that come in. And I've seen their homes, I've seen the vehicles they drive. They're not driving luxury vehicles by any means. They're not living in large uh, 24,000 square foot um, or 2,400 square foot homes with a basement on, underneath. They are, they're, they're living a, a life that's service focused, that's, that's um, others focused. And it, you can tell, you see that in their life and you can see that in their passion. Um, so after the trip, we we're very excited to bring all of that information back and to be able to share that with our church, to be able to say, hey, let's put together a larger group. Let's go again. They have a really great system. They have a really great formula. There's a really great um, missionary home that we can stay at in the evening. We can have our food provided for. And I think we can do all of this for less than $1,000 a person, which for a missions trip, usually you're looking to two to three times that to go to um, uh, out-of-country uh, opportunities like that. And that was for a week that we were able to do this. So we were excited for the opportunity. We were excited for how close this is at, at home. Um, one of our Sika um, pastors, his name's Robbie Maker, he refers to moments like this as a kairos moment. Kairos is a Greek word. It means it's, it's usually in reference to time or in the reference to weather. And it's a unique opportunity. A kairos moment is it's as fleeting as the weather is. It's here and then it's gone. And that is what we are seeing at our, at our southern border. We're seeing a kairos moment where nobody really knows what to do with the millions of people who are down there. The cartel know exactly what to do. 
people who are looking to exploit, they know exactly what to do. But the Christians are at a loss. How do we find this balance? And God calls us to love these people, to serve these people, to share the gospel with these people. Many of these people come from a Catholic um, background, but many of them do not know Christ in a meaningful way. Many of them want to be taught. While we were there, we had the opportunity to lead um, uh, uh, Bible times, to share, to lead gospel presentations, to be able to pray for these people. And you just walk up to them and you say, hey, we would like to pray. And they would bring the whole complex over. They bring the whole, they gather the whole shelter up just so that we could pray over these people because they're so hungry for the word of God. And it is, it is again, that's humbling to see the desire that they have. They have nothing but their, but it's, everybody has a cell phone. And so you can see kids watching videos or YouTubes, but they'll turn it off and they'll set it aside so that they can pray with you, so that they can hear a gospel presentation, so that we can read a Bible story with them. So we were very excited as a church. What can we do next? When can we go back? So we planned a trip for fall. It was this past November, a couple weeks ago. Well, as we were planning it over the summer, we learned that we learned that Pastor Loren, or we learned that there was a cartel change in leadership first. We learned that that had happened, and usually that does not happen in a very peaceful, orderly manner. But that happens with a lot of explosions and bullets. We learned that that happened in um, Nuevo Laredo. A few weeks later, Pastor Lorenzo was abducted by the cartel. He was held hostage by them for three days. He, they were demanding ransom. They were demanding money. Cartel, um, uh, Pastor Lorenzo was saying, don't pay it, don't pay it, they'll let me go. A few days later, they let him walk right back out, and they were more or less on understanding terms at that point. But that's what it takes with the cartel, is it just takes being captured and not being fed or watered for a few days for them to come to an understanding. Well... In October, it sounded like things were quiet, August and September, but in October, we were about a month away from being prepared to go out. Tickets were ordered, lodging was arranged, we were all prepared, and Pastor Lorenzo was given a message by the cartel. I want $1,000 per migrant in your shelters, or you need to leave the city. You have five days. Pastor Lorenzo has hundreds of migrants in his shelters. There's no way. He lives off of donations. There's no way that he could do that, even if he wanted to do that. So he left the city. Pastor Lorenzo left the, four, three, the three or four shelters in Nuevo Laredo. He left the shelter in Monterey, and he moved two and a half hours um, northwest, just outside of uh, Eagle Pass, Texas. It's a city called Pedras Negras, Black Rock. And he had to abandon everything. He had to leave the leases. He had just purchased one of the shelters, $10,000 investment to be able to have and, ha and hold. He was hoping to be able to transform that location because many of these locations, we think of a rundown home, and that's a pretty decent place in a Mexican city like this. And when we think of a bomb shelter or a, um, like you can see some of the pictures of like in, um, in Afghanistan where after the bombings, that's what some of these people are living in where there's holes in the rubble when there's just, just, just piles of rubble that they're putting their backpacks on and they're, lay, they're just trying to sweep the floor so they can lay a cot out. That's how some of these homes are. So he had purchased one. He had just made that investment and now he has left. And as of today, he's no longer operating outside, out of Nuevo Laredo, um, Mexico. He still has his home in, in Laredo, but he's driving every week. He spends three or four days in Eagle Pass, Texas or, or Pedras Negras where he's able to serve the migrants there. Many, some migrants he was able to take with him, but many he 
had to find their own way, and many just dispersed. He wasn't able to, to um, continue providing shelter for all these people. And that unlocked a lot of new logistical problems for him, as one might imagine. He now has about a dozen to two dozen individual rentals in Pedras Negras, where these are just little homes that he's renting privately for on behalf of the, um, the migrants. Some of the migrants are able to find jobs and, and help contribute towards it, but he doesn't charge the migrants for it. Whatever the migrants are able to come up with, whatever he's able to come up with, they're working together to just pay the lease um, week in and week out. We, were, we received notification of this just um, a month or so before we left, and that suddenly changed, that changed our venue, that changed our, our logistics, that changed our plans. We had to decide, is this an environment we're comfortable with? What was interesting, though, was that Pedros Negres, one of the reasons he chose this city is that there is no active cartel presence in Pedros Negres at this time. Um, the situation in Laredo had escalated. Um, Pastor Lorenzo, he actually filed a complaint to the UN. He, he uh, um, to contacted the CIA. He contacted the Mexican government. And as a response, there were 700 troops sent to Nuevo Laredo, where they are today. That was a pretty significant step that was taken. Hopefully, we're, hopefully things happened because of that, but that is to be determined over the next few months. Um, and, but, and Pedros Negres is no cartel presence, but the way that Pastor Lorenzo phrased it is that the police are the cartel there. And the police are very corrupt in um, this, this quarter of uh, um, the Mexican province here. And the police are the ones who are extorting the migrants, who are exploiting them along the ways. We had one story of a young lady, her name's Ana, where on her way from uh, Nuevo Laredo in his shelter on the way up to Pedras Negras, she was, um, she, was she, she has a, a three-year-old daughter, same age as Declan, and she, she was riding a bus going up. They stopped the bus. They checked everybody. They checked all the papers. She had the papers, but she that they recognized that she was in a migrant status, even though she's actually Mexican-born citizen. They took all of her money. They um, sexually assaulted her, and then they put her back on the bus, and they said, okay, you can go. She had nothing left after that, except for her cell phone, her documents, and her little girl. They sent her back up, and she was able to connect with, um, with Pastor Lorenzo. That was not cartel. That was police. That was in blue uniforms. That was in, with the badge on their, um, on their breast right there, and they were able to do that. They have the power to do that on the highways. They have the power to do that in the cities, and we experienced that firsthand. We have some f photos. In a, in a minute, I'd like to be able to share um, a, a short video about our time in November in Pedras Negras, because we, as a team, there were five of us who went down. It was myself, Rebecca, my wife, Ethan, his wife, Danielle, um, Danielle Becca's sister, and Ed, and the five of us were able to go to Pedras Negras. Things changed where we no longer had a safe haven in, um, in Texas at a missionary home in every evening. We actually lived day to day in the migrants' homes with the migrants. We, there was a duplex that we were staying in. I have a picture of it up here and we were um, on either side of the duplex. Both duplexes were rented out. There's about four families on, on both sides, 20 or so migrants, and we were just boom, pop, popped right in there with them, which was a really cool experience. And I think that our time in November, even though it was very different from what we expected in, um, it, for, based off our time in Nuevo Laredo, it was better than what we were able to experience because we were living life with the migrants. We were able to take off our American hat for the most part and just, we were sleeping in the same kinds of beds they were sleeping. We were eating the same food that they were eating. If we didn't go grocery shopping, then they may not have had food to be able to eat. And so we were able to help provide and to live life alongside of the migrants for the most part. 
And that was just an amazing experience. Becca's conversational in Spanish, Ethan's conversational. And so the two of them were able to have hours of conversation around a dinner table. You'll see a table that comes up and you'll notice all the different people who are around this table. There's so many elbows pressed on it, so many phones tapping away on Google Translate, so many Bible pages that were opened on that table just in the week that we were there because of the hunger that people have for the gospel in that area. Because they know, many of them who do know Christ, they, they don't know how to learn, how to teach themselves. They don't know how to learn more. Those who don't know Christ, they're hungry because they see and they need that confidence. They need that partnership with God. So if you don't mind playing the video, this will show just a really great um, summary of what our time was like in November in Pedras Negras. And I'll add just a little commentary as we go for context. So this is the team. This is the duplex we're staying in. The backside. They had fighting roosters. They bred for fighting. They had the migrants on the left side of the duplex. I'm oh, sorry, this is the right side. Ethan, leading in Spanish, morning devotional. This is that table. That's the girl, Anna, with her documents. Sleeping quarters. Little girl resting. Prayer. Reading. Devotional. Food that was donated and purchased to be able to hand out to migrants on the streets. I was preparing to go out. There are hundreds of migrants on the streets in Pedras Negras. This is an alleyway we saw where we were able to hand out first food to mother and children because we didn't know how many we had, how much we had, and then we were able to hand out to the men and uh, fathers afterwards. Migrants just waiting. This is a local church. They allow migrants to stay and sleep in the courtyard now and then. This is one of the shelters. Family, mostly Honduran, sleeping in the shelter. There's no, there's no ceiling. This is another shelter. You'll notice inside, it's a large pool area. They are allowed to stay here, but whenever there's pool events, they have to disperse, and then they clean up the mess afterwards on top of regular rent. This is a shelter, mostly Honduran and Haitian. We will just do a Bible presentation at each shelter. Living quarters. This is a courtyard. There are eight individuals. That's Pastor Lorenzo. He said, I don't care if you have residency here. Uh, that type of work does, is not good for us. So well, we don't care what you have. You're immigrant and you don't have no rights. Hmm. That's the UN who we contacted. They're trying to escalate the situation. I don't know if you call what Lorenzo said, but he said, we know that you have the documents, but you're an immigrant, you have no rights. These are the police officers day to day. That is a long rifle in his hands. 
these are the families. These eight right here standing up, they were abducted, taken for uh, two nights. Each of these groups we were able to pray over, we were able to share the gospel with, able to provide food for a couple weeks for. But that was it, just a couple weeks. That is a really strong song at the end that I really loved. I don't know if you were able to hear Pastor Lorenzo's translations. Even in the middle of our trouble, our God is so good. Even if we have no money, our God is so good. They are giving praise to God, even despite the living situations, even despite the, um, the exploitation that they're being uh, uh, pressed against. And just to be able to spend a week there was really it, it, was, it was powerful not just for Becca and I as a family of, like, stepping out of that, but I know there were tears when we said goodbye to the migrants we were living with in the duplex as we were saying farewell, as we were saying, um, as we were uh, just giving them well wishes, as we were praying for a safe arrival and a quick arrival to Estados Unidos, to the United States here. So there, we, we were already talking about, well, what could it look like to go back again? What could it look like to send a trip in the spring? Um, and there's three ways that I think that we as a, as a church evergreen have been thinking this is what we'd like to be able to do. And I'd like to encourage you at Oak Ridge to consider what can you do as well. These are people in our backyard who, are, who need help, who need the love of Christ. And so the three ways, one, I know Mike Newleaf, he's already talking about um, putting together a team as well. And if you're interested, that could be a great way for Oak Ridge and Newleaf to collaborate together um, further to be able to send a team to Mexico. There's, I think there's a balance between an age range. It's not a safe situation. In, um, in, in, even in Pedras Negras, Mexico is an unpredictable place. If you're not dealing with cartel, you're dealing with police. But praise the Lord, it was police in Pedras Negras because we had a very close interaction with, um, with them multiple times. You can see there was a van shot where you saw the vans and all the migrants in the alleyway. We learned that the day after we handed out food there, the police happened to come by um, and they went up and down the, um, the alleyway. They lined migrants up. They checked all their documents. They took all of their money. And then I think there may have been some resistance. There may have been some pushback. And what we learned was that many of them were, were attacked, assaulted, uh, um, battery by the police. And then the whole uh, alleyway was dispersed. One of the families we found staying in the very, they were staying a few blocks away, hiding in a back alleyway. Um, from that larger alley section, we were able to locate them, learn a little bit more about that, pray over them, give them some food. But they were scared to take the food because they didn't want to draw any attention to where they were. It's, it's, a, very, it's, it's a very volatile area. That, that night after the, the migrants were assaulted on the streets, there was a knock at our door at the duplex because we were just a few blocks away from that alleyway we had driving by. We had a couple migrant brothers. They went, opened the door. We were talking, having dinner, just kind of having normal conversation. And a couple of the migrants, they were, they were saying, Armando, Armando, brother, brother, to, trying to get my attention. And I, we're talking, we're talking. And I look over. He, they're, 
beckoning, come here, come here. So I walk over and open up the door, and there's a police officer standing there. He has a large vest on. He has six magazines. He's got a handgun on his side. Um, no long rifles in his hands at this time, but he had the magazines, the capacity for those when, if they were to decide to get them out of the truck. So we start trying to, I have to pull out Google Translate, and I say, Ethan, Ethan, I need your help here because Ethan is the one who speaks Spanish, and, but Ethan's having a, a really great conversation over dinner, and he doesn't really want to come over to talk to me at the moment. So I, Ethan, come here. And he, he glances at me, and I'm pulling out Google Translate, trying to say, well, is there a problem, officer? Can I help you, officer? What do you need, officer? Ethan, come here. He says, why? I said, Ethan, come here. And he kind of starts to catch some of my body language, and he's like, oh, okay, let me just come over. And then he sees the police officer, eyes wide. He's like, oh, okay. He walks over, we start having a conversation. We're asking the police officer, the police officer's trying to come inside the door. In the meantime, he's trying to enter in. We were told that if the police officer tries to enter into the, the house, that they do not have a legal right to do so. They don't have legal permission to do so. So I was asking, officer, is there an, a problem officer? Do you have, a, then once he starts to try to take a step, do you have, do you have a warrant officer? Is, is everything okay? Like what's, what's going on here? Do you have some papers? I would like to see some papers. I'd like to see a warrant. And as soon as I started saying the Spanish word or Don, which is warrant, he takes a step back outside of the house and he stands a little straighter and he puts his hands up on his, on his vest and his chest. And at that moment, Danielle, Becca's sister calls me and I'm looking at my phone thinking, Danielle, I'm talking face-to-face -face with a police officer right now. I cannot take your call. I then, moments later, realized, wait a second, she's on the other side of the duplex. She's calling me while there's a police officer face-to-face. -face. Probably has an officer next door as well. And so, okay, well, things seem to, this officer seems to be pretty relaxed, pretty under control, so I squeeze by the officer and I walk over through the patio. The door next door is where um, Danielle and Eddie are staying, and it's open. And I look in, and there's two officers inside. One's running down some steps where I know that there's a bedroom where the migrants sleep. And there's another one who's in the doorway and towards the kitchen. And so you have a little foyer, you have the kitchen, and then it goes deeper in. The front door is right here. So I stand up to the front door, and I'm looking in. And the officer who's inside, he's yelling in Spanish. He's giving orders. He's got his finger up in the air, pointing up the stairs where the bedroom is. And he has his hand on his pistol. And he's just barking orders. Poor little Danielle is standing there, like in the back. Eddie is around the corner. Neither of them know Spanish well enough to be able to interact with the officer. The migrants are, of course, they're, they're worried. They're scared. Just earlier that afternoon, they had been, um, those who were on the street, they were being attacked by the officers. So I enter in, buenas noches, buenas noches, como estas? And the officer, he turns around, he whips around hard, and he sees a white man standing there, and he immediately totally de-escalates. He immediately drops everything, he puts his hands up, grabs onto his collar right here, and he just stands there. The other one comes down the stairs, both of them stand there. I'm at the front door, so I start to enter into the foyer, and they change positions with me. So there is an amazing opportunity as an American where just our status, just our position commands respect. The police do not want to interact with Americans because they want to keep doing shady things in the shade. But if anything were to happen to an American, that would totally bring light on the situation and that ruins their revenue, that ruins their opportunity. So there is, there is, power, there is power in our position as an American. There's power in confidence through Christ. Things totally de-escalated after that. They both left, they both went into their pickup trucks. I was walking out there still asking, Ordan, Ordan, where's your, where's your warrant, where's your warrant, where is this, where is that?
They drove off, and then to this day, so far, three weeks later, they haven't come back to that house. So I'm, I'm trying to keep up with Pastor Lorenzo. I'm trying to find out, hey, how are things going? How are the other shelters? But this is not, a, this is not an environment that's in and of itself safe. I would like to consider bringing my children on a future um, trip because there's so many children who are there. But that's to be weighed, and I think that's a personal decision. Should, a, so should someone under 18 be encouraged to go? Probably not. Should it be considered on a case-by-case? Case? Absolutely. Should, is it safe for all of us to be able to go? So far, our experience with the cartel and the, um, and the police shows that it's, it's not a safe environment, but it's not a hazard either. So I would love for you to consider what could that mean for you? Is there a way for you to, are you interested in, in going? Are you interested in attending? Which, by the way, a police raid is not a regular occurrence. That was something that um, Pastor Lorenzo, he's like, that has never happened to us before, that nothing, something like that has never happened. So we praise the Lord that everybody was safe, that there was no further escalation, that things de-escalated very quickly there. Um, the second way for you to consider being able to, to support is through a donation. So Evergreen has started giving quarterly donations. We're able to do some, uh, um, some fundraising and give a large gift, but, I, but they're pretty old school. You just you write a check, sign it over to um, the organization, the Good Samaritan, El Buen Samaritan, and you can send it over there. Um, so if you're interested as a, as a church or individually donating and supporting the, the work that's happening there, I'd love to talk to you more, get you connected to the pastor directly so that you're able to talk to that. Um, a third way that we discovered that we can be partnering with the migrants is that while we were there, we met two families whose destination cities are um, in Northern Virginia, very close to our church there. So these people, they're coming up to the border, and then they're being sent to destination cities all over the states, from Florida to um, Oregon, from uh, California to Maine, everywhere in between. So there, we met two families, one who actually is arrival is today, this afternoon, to Springfield, um, November 27th. Another is a, a week or two from now to um, the Alexandria area. So we're learning. Well, what does that mean? If these migrants are coming from Mexico and then coming here, what are there, are there ways for us to be able to support? And I know that there were other migrants being sent to the Maryland area, like Silver Spring, to Bethesda, um, and, and uh, um, a little further out. A lot of them are kind of focusing around the D.C metropolitan area. So there are ways for us to continue the ministry, not just in Mexico, but here in the States as well. So we're looking for what that could mean for us. But that is a really, um, that's a summary of what we experienced, of our takeaways there, what we're hoping to be able to learn, how we can be doing, what we can be doing, how we can be serving. So I really appreciate the time, the long explanation, and the opportunity to share what's happening down in Texas and our border. And Bruce, I think Bruce is is going to come up and share some things that he has learned during our time of going through the Pentateuch. Morning. Uh, one thing that really uh, stood out to me from uh, going through the first five books of the Bible was just the uh, example of Moses, especially his uh, shepherd's heart uh, for the people. And I'd like to first uh, read a little bit from uh, Exodus 32. This was when the uh, people made a golden calf uh, Moses was up on the mountain, and then, and then in verse uh, 7, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, 
I have seen the people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So Moses, you know, he really showed love for the people. He was interceding for them. You know, sort of like in, in Romans, it talks about how Jesus intercedes for us. Moses interceded. Um, but he wasn't just interceding for the people. He was also concerned about God's glory. So I think we sort of see, you know, the two greatest commandments here. We see Moses loving God, and we see Moses loving people. And uh, there's another story, you know, you remember in, in Numbers, when the spies had been sent to spy out the land, and 10 of the spies, you know, reported that there were giants, and they thought, we can't go in there. There are giants there, you know. We'll be, we won't uh, survive. And uh, Joshua and Caleb, you know, the spies who had faith, they pleaded with the people to trust God. And then in, uh, in verse 10, it says, But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So they, they were going to stone Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. And now the Lord, again, he was about to destroy the people. And very similar to what happened in Exodus 32, uh, Moses interceded for the people. And, uh, you know, if I, was in this, if I was in that situation and some people were going to kill me, and then God comes in to rescue me, I'm not sure if I would have been pleading with God to spare them. I mean, it would have been understandable that if, if Moses wouldn't have pleaded for them in that situation. But he was, you know, he was really humble and uh, concerned about them. And so, you know, his, his care for people and also his concern for God's glory is a real example for us. And we might wonder, you know, you know, why was Moses, why was he, have, why did he have such a shepherd's heart for the people? Why did, why did he love the people and love God so much? And, uh, you know, one thing that I think is a, a hint about why Moses had that heart is from Exodus 33, uh, verses 7 to 9. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would rise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. 
Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. So here, Moses was going out to this special place to meet with God, and he was doing it pretty often. He had a habit of just meeting with God, spending time with God. So I think that's a pretty uh, strong hint of why Moses was the way he was, why he loved God and loved people so much. He, he spent a lot of time with God. So that's a, you know, a real example for us, an encouragement for us to be really spending time with God. One of the things that, uh, Bruce, I, I just appreciated how you were sharing from Moses' heart. 